Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Wow, buddy! You look healthy and happy. Veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. That's why he developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Hmm. Maybe I should try some of your pet food myself. Okay, okay. I'll start with a salad. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It would have come as a huge shock to the underworld at the time that he had turned state's evidence. We learned about it in December, but it probably happened before that. The guards have joined, they've signed an official deal to join the, what's called it was an operational network that was originally set up by the Italian anti-mafia directorate. They're going to get a chance, hopefully, to interview Imperiali at some point, who has to show that he's entirely cooperative if he's going to get any benefit out of becoming a pentito. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Gardi have officially joined the queue in a bid to talk with Italian super cartel member Raffaele Imperiale, who spent years in business with mob boss Daniel Kinahan. Officers from the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau have formally linked up with Italy's Anti-Mafia Investigation Directorate and hope to be able to use information from Supergrass Imperiale in future trials. Today, I'm talking with journalist Eamon Dillon about the developments in the case against Kinahan and his cohorts and about just what it means for Ireland to have a place in the line of law enforcement executives interested in what Imperiale has to say. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Eamon, remind me what are the links with, bizarrely, with uh, the mafiosa Raphael Imperiale and some Van Gogh paintings. Yeah, these are um, two paintings that were found in a, an apartment near Naples or in Naples that belonged to Raphael Imperiale. Uh, I, I think in 2016, there was a series of raids when these were found out. There was um, part of a move against him, but they'd actually been stolen in Amsterdam in 2002. So there was complete mystery as to where they had gone. Um, I think there've, there's been documentaries just, just on these two paintings Um let alone um, the colourful background of Imperiali himself. Mm. So, you know, it was an unusual. I don't think they they were expecting to find it. They knew they were going to find some goodies, but that that wasn't, uh, I think, on their list at the time. So it's a probable scenario that he wasn't maybe involved in the actual theft, but that he could have bought them off the the crooks who did raid the museum. Um, Well, he liked to find things in life. We do know that. Yeah. (laughs) Spends an awful lot of money on luxury items and 
and uh, kind of showing off. And of course, he, he like it's really even though he's an Italian member of the Camorra, you know, from Naples, his criminal career though did really take off or started in Amsterdam. And uh, you know, what, art detectives. Um, before we move on to that, I suppose art detectives would often tell us that um, criminals can sometimes hold these priceless works of art in order to do plea bargains when they need them. So it's like if you're playing Monopoly and you have the get out of jail card, you just have it there for when you're in trouble and rather than having to miss around. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the famous one was that was I think it was Muncher's Scream, which was stolen in one of the Nordic countries. Um, and it, it was a, it was a local gangster, you know, who was behind it and was trying to use it as a, a bargaining chip to get a, a, a deal from the authorities when he was facing court. Mm. And, and similarly, I, I remember it's a story I think you covered as well. I certainly did was the Madonna and the Yarnwinder, which is stolen from a, a castle in Scotland. And it was years and years later that turned up in a solicitor's office in Liverpool, where I think some people then were arrested over basically trying to scam the insurance company for a payout that they're basically trying to hand it back. So, I mean, that was the other reason, essentially, like, you know, why people steal them. But yeah. I mean, sometimes it's 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 because they're easy take as well. A lot of them are relatively, they're, they're not under a huge amount of security. Certainly the Madonna and the Ironwinder wasn't a 55 million euro uh, uh, Da Vinci painting. And and of course, the ones that Raphael Imperiali had, I mean, they're, they're essentially priceless because you're not going to be able to sell them. But they were valued at 130 million. So they weren't small time pieces of art. And they were hidden behind the walls as opposed to hanging on them in, in his mansion when it was raided in 2016. At that point, he was wanted on international drug trafficking charges. And I suppose we won't know whether he had anything to do with the discovery of those paintings at that time. But he was in Dubai. And of course, he was uh, a year later at Daniel Kinahan's famous wedding in the Burj Al Arab. Now, the reason we're talking about him again, because he's popped up quite a few times on the uh, the podcast, is because of a story you did at the weekend uh, that Gardaí have now officially got into line in order to um, uh, get some help, I think, from uh, Raphael Imperiale, who has become a pentito. Yes, I mean, it it would have come as a huge shock to to the underworld at the time that he he had turned state's evidence. Like, we learned about it in December, but it probably happened before that. I think it was the previous October when he was actually arrested in his prison cell as part of another European-wide operation in which I think there was something like 36 arrests and there was 800 million euro worth of cocaine that had been taken. Um, and then, of course, then we know then just in the last week, uh, there, there was another another case came out of um, uh, an Andrata gang, which would be, I suppose, a different Italian, um, a different Italian branch of the mafia. Um, and they had gangs that were able to, to sell into the, the very obviously lucrative Milan market, one of the biggest commercial you know, it's the commercial capital rather of Italy, um, and and they were selling cocaine in there that the that Imperiale would have had shipped, or he would have brokered the deals from South America, and basically it was his organization or his connections that were getting it through the ports of Antwerp and shipped down in two and three hundred kilo shipments down to Milan, um, and on the basis of his, his information, something like a hundred people were arrested in in recent times. It was a major operation against the gang. So, I mean, it, it's it's like, obviously, you know, it's a bit like the drip, drip feed that we're going to get from the Encro chat, that there's so much information that's possibly going to come out of one police action, out of one interview, or, you know, there's going to be an entire, you know, takedown of a big organization like this. So you can imagine that the Dutch want to speak to him. 
the, the DEA, I'm sure, wants to speak to him. And now the guards have joined. They've signed an official deal to join the what's called as an operational network that was originally set up by the Italian anti-mafia directorate. Um, I think the Germans and the French and the Dutch were also involved in that. That was first set up in 2018, designed to kind of, you know, to curb the, the the mafia's ability to be able to operate across jurisdictions, making it difficult for police, you know, to operate on their own. So it was again, it was all about pooling the information with these people. Um, and and so we officially, well, the guards officially signed up to that just last week. So they're gonna they're gonna get a chance, hopefully, to interview Imperiali at some point, who has to show that he's entirely cooperative if he's going to get any benefit out of becoming a pentito. Mm. But we're going to be in a queue, I'd imagine, behind everybody else. And I'm sure, like, even within Italy, there's still um, investigators waiting for their turn to, to, to get to it. At least we're in the queue now, though. I mean, that is such a, a positive for Ireland and just shows, really, I suppose, how the Gardaí at that level, you know, investigating organised crime have had to really become very... Uh, diverse with their cultural relations and they've had to play that political game of, you know, I'm sure this isn't a case of two detectives on the on the other end of a phone getting on well and having a couple of points. This is really high end sort of politics nearly, isn't it? I know it, it definitely is. And we saw that with the the designation of the Kinnahins by the, the Office of Foreign Asset Control in April last year. Uh, when you had such a high-powered uh, delegation come over, you know, uh, like a, a, the, what was it, a deputy head of the the, uh, the Secretary of State in the US, the, their OFAC people, you had people there from the National Crime Agency, uh, you had the, Amer- the, the US ambassador was there. So, I mean, it's an incredibly high-powered delegation. And, you know, to get that kind of high-level cooperation, to get the attention of, of these presumably extremely busy police operations, um, in itself is a success. So the fact that we're now cooperating, obviously sharing information, you know, and, and possibly there could be some operational, you know, usefulness as well, that obviously if, if there's informers on the Irish side that, you know, uh, are trusted by, you know, Kinahan connected uh, people, that they can be supplied or their information can be supplied. Like, you know, if there's going to be undercover people used, mm. You're obviously going to need someone who has a, a natural Irish accent, possibly if they're posing as an Irish person or or not. Um, you know, it, it's it's it, it just shows you, though, like, you know, kind of how high when you're taking on a, a, a multi-billion crime syndicate like the super cartel, what's needed. It's government action that's needed. It's, it's not good enough to, to, you know, to leave it up to individual police units anywhere in the world, let alone, a, you know, a small country like ours. Yeah. So the the arrest of the hundred uh, officers from the Nangretta, um, that is the first of the the kind of actions as such since uh, Imperiale has been brought back. So this is kind of the the first real movement on possibly what he's saying behind closed doors. It's certainly the first one we're aware of. Um, I, I've no doubt that there's plenty going on in the background. Um, you know, I mean this. Like, I mean, some of the stuff is coming out slowly. It's only as, as far as I can understand it, as as files are made public in the different different courts. I mean, a lot of this is being done out of the Naples Court of Review, I believe. Um, And it's the the Neapolitan anti-mafia magistrates, like who are really the ones that are, are, are controlling this investigation. So it's it's really it's 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 from there that we're going to get any any more public information. You know, I think that kind of the 
the anti-mafia investigative directorate or whatever. I'm, I don't know their exact title mm. from, from Italy. You know, this is something they're they're doing all along. I mean, that there's other pentitos, you know, who mightn't have a, as much an Irish interest uh, as as Imperiali. So, but there are others, you know, at that level that they have they have you, you know used in in the past. So, I presume that they 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 know what they're doing. They're getting used to this, and and you know, we're, they'll go after all the various tentacles across Europe and North Africa, the Middle East, and the US, wherever wherever it brings them. And what do you think ultimately? Raphael Imperiali would have on Kinahan. I mean, it's Daniel Kinahan, really, he's been in business with, isn't it, rather than the father? Yeah, it seems to be, although, like, what all these members of the super cartel have in common is that they were all expat criminals in Holland. So you had Christy Kinahan Sr. and the likes of Ridwan Targi and Raphael Imperiali and, and Enrico uh, uh, Richard Vega. They, you, you had these guys. They were all based in um, in Holland. They were there to broker drug deals, um, and they shared. I, I, you know, I suppose that background. Mm. So, like that, that's where that connection comes from. And of course, then I suppose he's, he's slightly younger. He's a younger man than Christy Kinnan. But the, I, I would imagine that the initial contact was through Christy Kinnan Senior. Um, and then this, you know, this infamous now wedding, I'm sure from their point of view in 2017 mm. at the Burj Al Arab, like where they were all gathered together. And obviously the DEA, the, the US uh, Drug Enforcement Administration were obviously keeping a close eye on this. And they were able to, as we now know, uh, put together, a, you know, a, a fairly a fairly comprehensive dossier of who was there and how they were working. And this is this is where this idea of the super cartel came out of, where they're, they're pooling their resources and re- you know, pulling their skills to, to shift, you know, industrial quantities of, of cocaine, um, in, in their case, mostly from Peru and uh, interestingly, into, the, into the European market. Why the DEA was there, as was explained to me by our colleague Jan Mayus, was because Nabil B had come forward to, uh, you know, to sort of hand himself over as a supergrass in the Netherlands against Ridwan Taji. He was running for his life. He was afraid he was going to be killed and he had a choice to die or to start speaking. And he went and started speaking and he described this uh, European super cartel, which had formed first in the Costa del Sol and then it had migrated out to Dubai. And the reason the DEA were there was because he had given that information. So certainly some of the, uh, the the connections between those individuals was coming to light on the decryption of the, the mobile phone network, the first one being Enetcom. And the DEA were sort of going along to look at that wedding to see, was there any truth in all this? And sure enough, there they all were together. So it was just another strand of evidence that was showing that what Nabil B had to say was looking likely. Because, of course, you know, a, a drug dealer running in off the street into a police office, be like them coming in to us to tell us a story while... The story may sound absolutely credible. You have to keep, you know what I mean? You have to you have to build up enough proof of it to start believing what the, the witness is saying. Um, and that, you know, now that we're on the Netherlands, because the Marengo trial, I was only emailing today to see exactly where this is at. This has gone on. It's been delayed by COVID. It's the biggest trial they have seen. It's Ridwan Taji and his 16 of his uh, his lieutenants on trial. Um, and there's developments constantly in the Netherlands. It's hard to keep up. But the most recent development have been that his lawyer, Inez Weski, um, 
that she has been investigated. I think she's been suspended temporarily um, from her work. Uh, she's been investigated to see was she the link between uh, Taggy and Raphael Imperiale passing messages between them. Yeah, and, and if it turns out that she was passing messages, she's not going to be the first to, to have been caught. Mm. She is actually still in custody at the minute. Um, and of course, really when Taggy is held in, uh, it's, it's known as the EBI, the Dutch abbreviation for whatever Dutch is for the high security prison. Um, and he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be in communicado. He's not supposed to be able to uh, be able to, to, to speak to anyone else. But like, you know, since he's been in custody since 2019, like there's been a whole slew of, of you know, shocking crimes uh, where we've had a, a lawyer shot, a journalist shot. Um, you've had the Nabil B's brother was shot dead. So, you know, and you've had an attempt to hire, I think, Colombian commandos to to attack the prison to try and free him. And I think another, I think uh, Richard Vega was held there at one point or may still be there. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's you could, you could argue that there's a lesson in it that if, if Ireland's, if the authorities here, if we ever get our hands on on the, uh, the Kinnan cartel, uh, you know, whether it's Daniel or, or Christy Senior or Junior, like we could expect something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, know, certainly uh, be be aware of the capabilities because not only that, but they have recently uh, uncovered why why the Prime Minister Ruta was put under protection in the aftermath of um, the murder of Peter Ordovries, the journalist. And the reason for that was they were plotting to kidnap him, the Prime Minister. And he was put in 24-hour security. And there was a a royal, a young royal um, as well, who they were, they had to kind of move in very quickly, the authorities, to make sure she was secured. She couldn't uh, continue her degree in Amsterdam University. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 certainly not to be to be laughed at. I mean, like like we have a we have a good idea what he's capable of at this stage. I mean, like the sheer terror, I think, was was pointed out by the prosecutors, which, by the way, I think it was in uh, um, as a couple of months ago where they they kind of made their final argument and they're looking for a life his life a life sentence for for Tage and for two others that are charged. But they were pointing to the fact that there's empty chairs in this secure underground courtroom known as the bunker where uh, their seats were reserved for members of the families of the victims of the people who had been killed. And not one of them has turned up. Nobody has turned up such as the fear they have of Ridu and Taggy and his gang and, and what he's capable of. And this is a man who supposedly, you know, uh, you know, is, is kept away from other prisoners, is not supposed to be able to have any contact with the outside world. Mm. And yet he's still able to, to in, you know, instill this level of fear in people. And, you know, I would urge anybody listening to us today to Google Inez Wesky, his lawyer, I-N-E-Z Wesky, W-E-S-K-I. A most unusual looking individual, like we have to say. And first time I sort of went looking for her, I was I was quite taken aback Um and, you know, your initial reaction is, oh, you know, must be something dodgy, but exactly the opposite. She apparently has a a, a fabulous career, very clean career um, as a criminal lawyer. She has never been suspected of anything before. Uh, our other colleague, Saskia Bellman, had said to me she was an extremely nice individual, very fair, very good lawyer. Um, I think for her at this stage of her career to be caught up in even the suspicions of this uh, 
passing information between two, you know, massive figures in organised crime maybe is yeah. is just, you know, again, part of the that, that idea that this one individual taggy can do or feel so untouchable and has corrupted so many through fear. Yeah, I, and like the, there is a, a, there's another cousin of Taggy who was uh, acting as his lawyer at one point as well. And he was sentenced um, last year to five and a half years you know, for, for something similar. And it was during his trial that Wesky was named as a possible conduit between Taggy and Imperiali, which is something that she vehemently rejected at the time. And, mm. you know, she was saying it was a completely made up story. This is obviously coming from, um, th- this is, th- you know, this is this is coming from the, you know, the, the defense side. Uh, so, and so at the moment now, apparently Taggy is going to, he's going to continue now to represent himself. Uh, she represented, I think, two other people in the, in the, um, the Marengo trial. And um, one of those hasn't got a lawyer now. And the other one, I think, has a lawyer from, the same firm that Wesky worked for. But I mean, it's kind of, it's getting to the point where like, why would you even get involved in, in the case, you know, such as being the level of um, chaos. Yeah. Well, not chaos, but it, it's just, it, well, chaos so many, and fear so and incidents. violence. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but that, it, that, that's obviously what Taggy wanted. So in one sense, he succeeded. Now, mm. obviously, I mean, it's, it's not a jury trial. It's a, uh, you know, it's a different system, a magisterial system. It's supposed to be similar to a kind of a special criminal court case um, in, in Ireland where it's a panel of judges and they, they'll make their decision. So as far as I know, the, the, the defence still have to come back to make their final statement. At what point that's going to happen? That's exactly I'm, I'm where it's sure. at. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, there's the so closing the, statements have to be made and they're expecting a, a verdict in October. But the closing statements are going to be are supposed to be made later this month, next month. Um, yeah, so presumably we're going to see Taggy on his feet. Well, well in, this in was it. Or, or on, on video link. So this is what this I'm is trying to establish because I would like to go over for that and to get a bit of a, you know, an actual view inside the bunker if I can manage to get in and get accreditation and everything. But you wonder, is it going to go ahead or uh, will all these issues mean it'll be uh, adjourned again and we'll be another few months behind. It's just, I'm sure it's very frustrating for anybody working on it. They never expected that three years down the road they'd be still in that courtroom in and out of it, you know. Um, but I will definitely go if I can get a little bit of clarity on what's likely to happen. And um, I don't have Dutch, <laughs> but you'd still get a little bit of an idea. Yeah, I mean, like the a, colour of it. Like it, it really has tested the Dutch criminal justice system, you know, from every aspect of it in terms of, you know, protecting witnesses, uh, which they, they haven't entirely done with with Naval Bree's brother being murdered. Mm. Um, you know, and then, you know, Peter de Vries, he was a journalist, but he was acting in, as an advisor to Naval B and he was killed. And of course, one of his his lawyers is that um, uh, Dirk Wersom. He was shot dead as well. I mean, these are all individually shocking crimes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you have, you know, between COVID, um, between, you know, victims, families, none of them wanting to put forward a victim impact statement or the equivalent of that. You, you know, it's really kind of, it's really challenged the Dutch state to see if they're, if it's resilient enough, like to stand up to these, you know, billionaire drug cartels. And hopefully it, it'll, <laughs> it'll turn out, hopefully it'll turn out it, right. Exactly. Hopefully it will win out. And But I do think that that's the key and that's the reason that we are and should be so engaged with what's going on there. Because there's very little difference between our two societies. We're both, yeah. 
European and countries where this sort of thing should not simply happen. And it's the idea that it's 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 the power of one individual who is just so anarchical and dangerous uh, and yeah, has and, been and, able and, to wield his power through the money and, he made from cocaine. Yeah, and don't forget the you know the direct link to Ireland through the Kinnahans. You had Nafu Fassi, who's serving life now in Holland. Like he was arrested in Dublin in 2016 mm. when when you know at the height of the the Hutch Kinnahan feud, the Gardaí, um they raided a number of properties that I, I, obviously the the Kinnahan cartel thought were were safe houses, and on one in Bagger Street that this this uh, Dutch Moroccan was nabbed, which. Um, you know, it just shows you the very direct link that goes on. And who's to say that, you know, some very serious criminals directed by Target could carry out, you know, operations, you know, criminal operations for 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 themselves or on behalf of the Kinnons here in Ireland. So, I mean, it's mm. of huge interest to us. And like, especially given that Daniel Kinnahan has already displayed an ability to go a step beyond probably what has ever happened before when it comes to gangland feuding, the kind of levels of money he threw into it, the uh, victims that were, the would-be victims that were identified just because they had a loose connection or a relationship with the people he wanted killed. And, of course, some of the stuff that has never been written about that we know of that was plotted in the background and never happened. Uh, I think he has certainly shown an ability to be as likely as dangerous yeah i mean like a, that was a real attempt at shock and awe you know to to set up all these the various you know kill squads or whatever death squads you know that we've talked about before to try and you know wipe out the hutches i mean and that was their that was their plan or certainly make them irrelevant and to kind of you know you know demonstrate his power like in in I don't know, like uh, the old Roman em- Empire, mm. where they they just lay waste to an entire region just to just to show that they were the most powerful military. He wanted to show he's the most powerful drugs gang or criminal gang in Ireland. Individual I mean, like, that he should yeah. be feared. I mean, that was the message that was that I, was sent. I, I, while all the time he was rising to stardom in uh, boxing and not caring about uh, the the reportage etc. about him. And maybe it's something that, like, you know, should be taken on board by the authorities here, which you can argue now that we have, we've signed up with the Italian anti-mafia directorate, you know, we've gotten the Americans involved. But when you consider that to get to get Imperiali, um, to, to have him uh, extradited from the, the UAE, from Dubai, the, like the Italians had asked him to be arrested and he was arrested in, in, in I think it was in, in uh, August 2021, and it took until the following March before he was finally extradited back, having won, I think, a, an appeals, you know, some kind of uh, legal challenge. But it was the Italian justice minister who flew to Dubai and, and spoke to her counterpart. So, you know, it, it took a senior politician to, to, to go to Dubai and say, look, when you just hurry up and get this done, please, or whatever deal was done, or, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was some kind of horse trading going on in the background in terms of organising contracts or god knows what but all of a sudden a few days after the the minister for justice uh from italy had left uh dubai he was put on a plane and there he was back in custody and then within you know within whatever it was seven months after that he's a pentito and he's spilling the beans mm-hmm. yeah well look um we'll keep an eye on both those areas of italy and uh, the Netherlands, because everything that happens in them is so relatable to us. But um, 
in the meantime, the Irish Gardaí have taken their place in the queue and that's what's important. And they'll eventually get to the top of it and hopefully sit down with Imperiale and ask him just what he knows. Yeah. <laughs> All and right, Amy. we get to find out. <laughs> exactly. Listen, thanks a million. No worries. You're welcome, Declan. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary.